Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. You know how much I love first, right? Well, I have to say, I think in all my years of recording podcasts, we have never had a spy on the show. That's right. We are now having our first incredible, amazing, I love this dude, Robert Spy. That's all I'm going to say. You are definitely going to want to listen to this entire episode, share it, like it, rate it. You know how much I appreciate it. And also thank you. Thank you so much for all your support with my speaking gigs and my workshops and my books. You guys rock. I am loving all the support. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Enjoy our first spy on Let's Keep It Real. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Okay, my Let's Keep It Real people, you know how I like first. I like doing things different. And Robert is in the house. Hello, yes. Robert. Woo woo. Yeah. Right. Fly, fly eagles fly. <laughs> well, we don't want to talk about that right now here. Okay. It's a little, you know, sour sweet. But Robert will tell you about him being from Philly. But before we get into this, Robert, one word that best mm-hmm. describes your past 30 days. You can pick any word you want, good, bad, or ugly. And then why did you pick that word? Rainy. Rainy. Yeah. Yeah. We've so never I'm never gotten that word. Why rainy? Well, I live in Southern California. And uh, as we discussed, you know, my hometown is Philadelphia. I moved out here. And the deal that I made with California was that we, I moved out here because it was always warm and sunny. And this year we've had the rainiest season in 2025 years, the coldest season in 2025 years. Now, of course, it doesn't compare to the East Coast, so forgive me, I've become quite a baby. Uh, But the weather here has been freezing cold and rainy. You know, if you watch the news, we've had snow. Uh, I live in Malibu, we had snow in Malibu. Uh, We've had hail in Malibu. It's been a very, very cold and rainy and long winter. Well, you know what? I think it's opposite season because we've had the freaking mildest winter ever. And I have to say, I don't like we haven't had snow. We had a mm. dusting. I couldn't even make one measly snowman. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> like something's yeah. weird, you know? Yeah. So I am sad for you, but I'm kind of jealous that you had snow. I mean, yeah. Philly's supposed to get snow. You know that. Igloos, yeah. snowball fights. All right, so we need to get into this because my viewers and listeners are going to be, wait a minute, did you say he was a Russian spy? Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Back up, back up. (laughs) He's a corporate spy. Is that the same? So when I went out and I showed everybody your bio and I said, what are the most you want to ask him? What are the biggest questions you want to ask Robert, and you want to know what the biggest question was? Let's see if you can guess. What do you think? I have no idea, but I'm I'm fascinated to learn. Okay, because I I reach out to my peeps. I go, what do you want to know? 
They want to know, wait, dear Robert, I like that. What's the difference? What's the biggest difference between being a Russian spy and being a corporate spy? A, and then B, how can I get the gig? Ah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny because, you know, I cannot tell you how many people have reached out to me and said, how do I get into corporate spying? Um, so, um, you know, in answer to part one, you know, so I was a corporate spy, obviously not a Russian spy. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you, I, th I think the difference between corporate spying and political spying, um, because I've done some events uh, where I've been on panels with people that really were uh, political spies, uh, Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent I did an event with. And I think the biggest difference is corporate spies make a lot more money. That's the first thing. Um, Shut yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and we'll get into how I how I stumbled into this crazy career. Um, but at, at the by the end of it, I was making two million dollars a year as a corporate spy. And OK, OK. And you realize not, now, now what everyone is calling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, Valerie Plain being a CIA agent, you know, CIA agents are in the government, so they make whatever they make, you know, 82,000 a year, 116,000 a year, it, you know, they're, you're not getting rich being a political spy. I did not know that. I did yeah. not know that. Okay, so I may or may not have watched Johnny B. Ah, <laughs> you saw it. You I know the Hooters. I yeah, know the right. Hooters. That's right. Yeah. Well, the, you know, as you know, being from Philadelphia, the Hooters, the Hooters were massive. Um, I think it was sometime in the, you know when they had the Live Aid thing the, in, yeah. in Philadelphia. The Hooters opened the whole thing. They were the first you know act, um, and um, yeah, they were massive. And and um, I got hired to play Johnny B and their wow. lead single, uh, Johnny B. You know, I was, in, you know, again, I was, that, you know, that's what happened for me is, you know, the, my name, my last name, the Kerbeck um, uh, name is very well known in the Philadelphia area for the automobile business. My great grandfather sold horse carriages before automobiles were invented. Mm -hmm. He switched to selling cars. My grandfather took over that dealership. My father took over that dealership and I was supposed to take over that dealership. And, um, at, when I was in college at Penn, I kind of fell in love with acting. I got really into it. And when I graduated, um, I wanted to move to New York, but I didn't know anybody that had tried to be an, an actor. It just seemed insane to me. So I went to work for my father and the trickery kind of of car sales just didn't sit right with me. And um, so I finally got the courage and I moved to New York. But before I did that, while I was working for my dad, I saw this, uh, you know, advertisement for an audition uh for this music video it didn't say who the music video was for oh and um and i went uh and they hired me and um the the director was a very young david fincher who your audience is going to know has directed a billion huge movies he directed seven he directed the social network he directed fight club he directed mank um, I believe David's been nominated for Academy Awards. Um, and here he was just a young director di directing a music video for the Hooters. And he hired me to play Johnny B in this video. Which was awesome. It was mm. awesome. Yeah, it was really yeah. fun. It was really fun. One of the, uh, the stories I like the most about the video is, you know, we're shooting the video and Johnny B's a drug addict, right? He's, he's on heroin. You know, he's going down a dark road. It's not Johnny B. It's not going to end well for Johnny B. So, you know, he he's trying to get me to look like a strung out, you know, heroin addict. And yeah. you know, I was I was a healthy young guy and 
he learned that I, the cigarettes made me nauseous. I, I had never smoked. I didn't, you know, so he had yeah. me smoke and he had me smoke more and he had me smoke more and he was making me smoke so much that I was literally turning white. I was throwing up on the side of the set and he was like, this is fantastic. You look great. <laughs> That's some good directing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I did not like it at the time. But in retrospect, it worked very well for the video. And um, and the other funny story from the video shoot was that, um, you know, it's a set, right? And um, Johnny yeah. B at one point, you know, he loses it and he's destroying everything in his seedy hotel room and he's breaking everything and smashing everything. And, you know, he's basically, you know, losing it. And yeah. David said, look, you can break anything in this in the set. You can smash anything. But the TV, you can't break the TV because we got a Philadelphia appliance dealer to let us borrow it for free. So, so don't break the TV. Well, of course, what did I do? I broke the TV. <laughs> and maybe that's why David never hired me for any of those big movies. Damn you. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to back up. So. You said trickery of being a car salesman. So it's true. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd like to believe that some are that way, but not all. And then I know it's going to segue in. How's that different from being a corporate spy? I mean, come on here. Yeah, well, that was my father's question because I told him, you know, I didn't want to be in the car business. You know, it didn't feel right for me. And then later he found out I was a corporate spy. And he was like, what the hell? You know, um, look. All sales, it, you know, the purpose of sales is to sell your product and Hi. to sell it for as much money as you can, right? That's just the nature of sales, um, okay. you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't judge that in any way, shape or form. I did that, right? Um, but, you know, there is a certain element of you are trying to convince your buyer that your product is worth x and then of course there's some other salesperson that's selling it for maybe a little less maybe a little bit more and and you know and that's just the nature of you know the world that we live in you know going back to the beginning of time people were selling products and obviously trying to sell a products mm -hmm. for as much money as possible now there are people that are selling products that are good products and products they believe in and then there are people that are selling products that are not good products you know and so you know so the the whole sales thing i think you know it it it's it's just part of our world and and of course in america we live in a capitalist system um and that was one of the ways we, you know we'll get into the corporate spying thing and one of the ways that i justified what i did and and i'm not saying it was right um but one of the ways in the beginning that i justified it was well look this is part of the capitalist system all of these firms are hiring spies so you know i'm just being part of the you know i'm a small cog in this giant dirty wheel yeah hmm I'm very sad now. <laughs> I, I like my car salesman, but okay. All right. So you're an actor. Yeah. And you want to make more money supporting your acting career, right? Like everyone else. Yeah. A survival so you job. You could have been a bartender. You could have been. Tables. Could, yep. I, and here are the reasons that I wasn't. I was never a late night guy. You know, I mean, I was always an early bird you know, in bed early. So, you know, bartenders generally, you make your money yep. working at one in the morning, two in the morning, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was out. And also being a, a waiter server, 
requires a certain patience because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with people that maybe, you know, don't tip you right or complain a lot. And, and you know, my patient skills can be lacking. Um, and so those jobs really didn't work very well for me, um, but I needed a survival job. You know, almost all actors need yeah. some sort of job to help them pay the bills while they're trying to make it, right? And I was a working actor. I was in, I finally moved to New York. I was doing amazing shows. I starred opposite James Gandolfini from The Sopranos. He and I did the lead in a play. I starred opposite Callista Flockhart, who's been married to Harrison Ford for 30 years. Um, you know, I was getting reviewed in the New York Times, in the New Yorker magazine, you know, so I was working. But you were the doing theater, well, man. I was, I was doing great, but the theater pays almost nothing, pays very little. So I needed this survival job. Who stumbles into a, a job as a corporate spy? But that's what happened to me. And how old were you at the time? 20s, you know, early 20s, you know. Okay. So how does one stumble? Because, you know, the big thing is they want to make $2 million too. So there you are. How does one stumble? It's not the segue you think about with acting. Oh, yeah. I just met a guy who knew a guy. Is that what it was? I met a guy who knew a guy? Sort of. I mean, my college roommate, uh, his brother was the only person I knew in New York, and he was showing me the ropes and... One day he mentioned this job and then he kind of got this look on his face and he shut up right away, you know, like he had been told, do not talk about this job. Do not tell anybody about this job. And I said, whoa, 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 what's this job you got? What's this secret job you got? You know, dude, I'm broke. Help me out. And so he very reluctantly got me an interview with this woman um, that basically ran this very small corporate spying firm, which, of course, I didn't know right away. And Mm -hmm. I went to interview with her. She had this apartment on the Upper East Side. And your audience may know the Upper East Side is kind of the wealthiest area of Manhattan. It's It's the old money area of Manhattan. And I go to this doorman building. I was living in Hell's Kitchen in a cave with two other guys. Um, she's got a doorman building. I take the elevator up to the penthouse. She ushers me into this gorgeous apartment. It looks like it came out of Architectural Digest. So I knew right away, whatever this woman did, it was lucrative. Whatever she was doing, she was making a lot of money. Um, And very strange interview, doesn't ask me anything about my skills, doesn't ask to see a resume, doesn't tell me anything about the job, just asks a lot of questions about why I'm in New York and why I left my father's business and how my father's taking that. Uh, And the answer to that was, the the answer to that was not well. Um, And um, I left and my buddy called, called me and he said, look, you got the job, but don't get too excited because no one is able to do this job. Um, And I still had no idea. And then the next day I went out to um, Brooklyn and this is, you know, this is Brooklyn back in the day uh, during the crack epidemic, not the Brooklyn of today with, you know, hipsters with beards and coffee shops everywhere. Yeah, I love Brooklyn. Yeah, this was Brooklyn when it was dangerous, when it was rough. Uh, And so I go out to Brooklyn. I walk up this fourth floor walk up. I'm hearing people yelling and screaming behind doors. I'm imagining, you know, murders and drug deals and uh, knock on this door. And this beautiful woman opens the door. uh, She's got a bit of an Irish accent. And she says, come on in. You'll work in my bedroom. And I still to this moment have no idea, but I'm single. I'm a young guy and I'm single. So I go, "Okay, let's do it. Uh, and she takes me into her bedroom. There's a desk and a futon. Uh, I stare at the desk. I stare at the futon. She says, sit down at the desk. And she begins to explain to me that what we do is we use our acting skills. We use voices. 
we create characters, ah. we do accents, um, and we use all of these things, our improvisational skills, to call major corporations and convince people, trick people, ruse people, hence the title of my book, ruse people into giving us information and releasing corporate secrets that they should never in a million years tell us. Mm. Hence the acting skill. Now I get it. Yeah, she only hired actors, the, the woman who ran this firm. Okay, so I don't know you that long, but when I look at you, your whole persona, and I'm usually pretty good at this, is like, you're like the real deal. Like you couldn't lie to save your life. You know? <laughs> that, which is probably a really good thing. Like, yeah. I'm going to believe you. I am going to buy a car from you. I am <laughs> going to give you my corporate secrets because you seem extremely salt of the earth and trustworthy. Aww. Oh, well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, the Please one tell thing me you're I, that way now. Please tell well, me you're that way now. I am. And, and the one thing that I always did with this job, I mean, to the best of my ability, because we're all human beings, was that I always drew a line so that the rusing, I did it for the job, but I never took it into my personal life, right? Um, into my daily life. Because, yeah, because I could... I could find out anything about anybody. I could get information about my neighbor, you know, my, you know, my, my, my friend, my, you know, you know, a anything, you know, I could find out about anybody um, and, and theoretically use that to my advantage, you know, uh, in some way, shape or form, whether it was personally or financially. Um, and so that was something that I, I knew that by doing this corporate spying job, you know, which is ethically clearly uh, questionable, um that you think, <laughs> you, think? <laughs> you know uh i knew that i did not want that to to bleed into my regular life because i wanted to have you know i wanted to be married and be faithful to my wife and 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 be you mm -hmm. know raise good kids and and you know all you know and be a good friend and all of that stuff you know um and again you know i don't I don't recommend my career path for anybody, uh, though it is a hell of a fun and crazy story. Um, yeah. And but um, you know that's the that's the journey that I that I kind of stumbled my way into. So that was one of the other questions I got a lot: is how did you separate it? If you were doing this at your work and it was so fun and easy. Did you always have to have like checkpoints? Wait a minute, I'm also doing that in my personal life, or it really was that easy, like you said, to separate? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was because you know when you were, you know, when I was in my office and I was doing my ruse phone calls, um, I, you know, I was somebody else. I wasn't me. You know, I was, you know, this is Gerhardt calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators here, and we need some information from the states. You know. Um, so it wasn't me, it was these characters that I was creating that people would go, oh, hey, hey, Gerhard, buddy, oh, you're over in the Frankfurt, oh, you're in the Berlin office, oh, you're in the London office, or you're in the whatever, Dallas office, whatever character accent, you know, sure, how can we help you? What do you need? What's going on? Because people are taught in corporate America, and forget about America, all over the world, when you work in a corporation, you're taught what? Be a good teammate. Right. You know, they talk about that with co corporate culture all the time. And we would take advantage of that, that people would think, oh, somebody's in another office. They've got an emergency, you know, and your audience knows because we're all getting 
phishing emails, phishing texts, yep, phishing yep. phone calls every day. And they all make everything seem like what? An emergency. Yep. Right. Yep. 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 Right. So they're using that element of time pressure to get you to say something, click on something, you know, forward something um, that is going to cause problems either for you personally or for your company. Yeah, and I'm here to and, and I'm here to tell you, let me just say, you know, now I speak a lot about this stuff and yeah. I advise corporations and I consult corporations and I go to conferences. Ooh. Yeah. So so I've switched over from, you know, w w they say offense to defense. Now I try to protect people. Um, and that's one of the things I like about coming on programs like this is that I can say, hey, audience, here are some things to watch for. Here are some skills and tools that you can use and you can have to protect yourself so you're not hacked, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's a huge it's a huge issue. And by the way, it's getting worse every day. We're we're seeing this artificial intelligence software where now uh, this software can imitate your voice or your boss's voice or your mother's voice or your husband's voice or your wife's voice. So think about that now. You're going to get a phone call and they can use call spoofing. It's going to show up a number you recognize and it's going to be a voice you recognize and they're going to be saying, hey, I'm jammed up uh, and they're going to be asking you for something. And why would you say no to it? Because you're going to recognize the voice. You're going to recognize the phone number. Right. You're going to get, you're gonna, oh, oh, honey, you lost your credit card and you need the, oh yeah, here, let me read it to you. And oh, here's the four digit number. And you know, oh my God, you know, whatever. Right. Now, of course, back in the day, you had to be an actor and had to be trained to do accents yeah. and voices. But now any hacker is going to be able to do that. Okay. Now that you scared everyone, we're going to go, we're going to back up a little bit. So I want to talk about that because of course that we got a lot of questions on how can you protect yourself? How do you know? Blah, 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 blah. But I can say, and I want to say this because so many people feel like, uh, for lack of a better word, buttheads that they fall prey to some right. of this. But I can say the best of the best that fall prey. My husband, who's a savvy Big corporate lawyer got scammed because for some reason he thought his wife didn't pay the electric bill. And somehow they convinced him to go and get like a, what do you call it? A card from like the drugstore, you know, money card and mm -hmm. send them. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, did you think to call me? He's like, I thought, you know, you, you just didn't. And they sounded. Yeah. Yeah. Look. So don't feel bad. No. But that being said, what are some of the things we can look at? I know for me, Robert, what I do, I don't do anything, give money anywhere, call anything until I call that organization. Like if, if it's because I get things all the time, like call right. us now from the whatever. Right. right. I just ignore it. And then I call the bank. You know, I right. call the person. I, right. I don't know what else to do. Yeah, I mean, look, the 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 rule that I have is remember when we were kids and we had the five second rule, you know, if you dropped your gum or your candy, your mom could shove it back into your mouth uh, as long as it wasn't on the ground for five seconds, no matter how dirty. Right? Yeah. Well, well, now, you know, we're older. So, you know, we can we, you know, theoretically, we have a little bit more patience. And so I have this 30 second rule that when you get the crazy uh, text or you get the crazy email or just not even crazy, just something something goes off your spider spidey sense is like wait a second yeah. you take 30 seconds and you put your phone down 
you put your, uh, you, you know, you close your laptop, you get up, you stretch your legs, you walk away from your, your device, and you just think about it for 30 seconds, 30 seconds. And I guarantee you, if you do that, when you go back, you know, to that text or that, uh, you know, that email, or if it's a phone call, you can tell the person, let me put you on hold for 30 seconds, or let me call you back, you know. Yeah. Um, if you do those things, when you have that 30 seconds to reflect all of a sudden you're going to go wait a second now you're going to study the email before you forward it or click on any yeah. links you're going to look at the email address that it came from you're going to you know all of these things you're going to go wait a second this doesn't make sense there's something about this that doesn't ring true and if you have any doubt whatsoever what do you do nothing nothing yeah. and they're yeah. going to be telling you oh my god you've been hacked you better do this you got to do that there's no rush. There's no rush because yeah. all you're going to do by rushing is make it worse. Yeah, that's a good point. 30 seconds. Don't rush. And I love the fact that you said call back because if it's your son or your husband and then you call them, you'll realize it wasn't them. Just Correct. But you know what's really sad? And I see this um, with a lot of older people. They prey mm. on them because they're not thinking to do that. And even my mother-in-law, who's very savvy, she's 87. She comes up with all these um, nonprofit organizations reaching out to her through mail to donate money. Mm -hmm. And when she, we bring it, go through them, half of them are scams. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, people are, you know, people are constantly trying to separate people from their money. Um, yeah. and yeah. you know, th that's just time immemorial. We're not going to change that. Um, yeah. But certainly, um, people can um, do a lot to protect themselves. You know, I mean, look, at, I think at a certain point, people are going to need to come up with code names for family members. You know, you, you and your husband are going to have a code name. So if somebody oh, is right, that's a great idea. You know, and that'll give your husband a chance if he wants to be Maverick. Because come on, who doesn't want to be able to say that their code name is Maverick? You know, or James <laughs> Bond or whatever, right? You can have a cool code name. You know, Condor. Uh, you know, um, but you have some way. That I like that. Well, that's a great idea. <laughs> All right. Love the title. Love it. Ruth's lying. The American dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Why write the book now? Well, uh, first, because the statute of limitations has expired for any potential crimes that I may or may not have committed. Woo, woo. Okay, <laughs> there you go. So that Dang. was part of it. Um, and also, you know, to be quite frank, look, I knew it, I had a crazy job. I knew it was insane. But it wasn't until um, I circled back to writing later in life because I was an English major in college before I fell into acting. And I was at a writer's conference and I read like an early thing that I had written about Ruse. And at that point, it was just kind of an essay or a story. Mm. And people people flipped out about it because, you know, everybody knows the Russians spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. Obviously, we had the whole spy balloon thing a few weeks ago. But oh, what most people either have no idea or they're certainly shocked to find out how prevalent it is, is how much money corporations spend to spy on their rivals every day. And so when people heard my story, they're like, oh, my God, you got to write a book about this. And so um, so I did. And then, you know, and the same thing happened when, you know, my agent sent it over to Penguin Random House, the publisher. You know, they said, look, we know to our knowledge, no corporate spy has ever written a book about corporate spying. 
Um, and so, you know, it's always nice, you know, in any industry to be the first one because you get a lot of attention yeah. and you get, a, yeah. you know, um, and so, um, so that, you know, that, that's why it's come out now. I wrote it during COVID um, and it, that was a terrible time. And so I wanted to write a book that was a, a page turner. I wanted to write a book that was fun, that people can enjoy. Um, and so you can see all the crazy shenanigans and hijinks and ruses that were used you know they you know we had the inside ploy and we had the compliance ploy and we had the dropping the grapefruit ploy and there were all of these crazy ploys that we did to get people to give us information you know um and so you know that's something i'm really happy about a lot of the one of the reviews of ruse said that it reads like a spy novel which that really made me feel good because you know spy spy novels are fun to read and i wanted to write i wanted to write something that people they just they wanted to see what was going to happen on the next page yeah i don't i don't like destruction and guns and violence but i love spy movies and books Mm. you know yeah it's like a big one big mystery okay so you make the switch you said statue of limitation when did you stop being a corporate spy and then go to the other side which you said you're doing a lot of speaking engagements Mm -hmm. to talk about how to protect themselves or workshops yeah yeah so you know i've been you know basically now since the book came out about a year ago i've been um you know doing shows like this you know a radio podcast uh you know print um and then of course going to conferences um uh, and all of those things designed to you know give people information from somebody that knows exactly what spies and hackers are trying to do how they get to you um the tricks that they use um you know call spoofing is a really big one now where you know you're num- you know you you get a call from a number that you recognize you know and so you answer the phone and now you think it, because it's a number you recognize and now we add into this deep fake voice uh capability you know it's really pretty you know it's going to be really difficult for a lot of people a lot of elderly um to to not to not fall prey to this stuff um it's really scary and so you know that that's something that i'm out there trying to do um uh to kind of you know to to be of service finally yeah (laughs) better late late than never so but when did you stop being a corporate spy uh, you know, I don't know the exact date, but in the book I talk about, you know, that there's this big moment that happens um, where I finally go, okay, I got to get out of here. But it's been quite some time now. It's been over a decade that, that okay. you know, that, yeah. And they definitely want to know, what was your favorite character to play? In terms of the spine? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I, oh, I thought maybe you were also asking in terms of- I know, am going to, but first oh, my TV, yeah. Um. You know, I think, you know, that the, 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 all of the spies, you know, that this woman hired, there were a couple of us, we all had our go-to ploy. Like we all, and sometimes we would try the other person's ploy and it would never work for us the way it, you know, it worked Mm -hmm. for them. And we all had our go-to accents. And, you know, sometimes I would try my British accent or my Southern accent and they would work pretty well. But the go-to for me was that German accent. because yeah, that was good. It was just like, think about it. Is anybody thinking that someone is going to be calling you, pretending to be from your firm's office in Germany, putting on a fake German accent to get information? It's just, it's ludicrous, right? And that yeah, was one yeah. of the, the crazy things is that we learned 
the more outlandish the ploy, the more outlandish the ruse, the, 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 the sillier it was, the crazier it was, the more believable it became. And it, it kind of doesn't make sense. Wacky? Yeah, yes. it, it's very counterintuitive, but it was true. The more insane your story was about why you needed this information, the more people would go, well, this has got to be real. They can't be making this up. That you know, you know, it 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 just doesn't make sense. Somebody's going to be putting on a fake accent, to, and so people would tell you whatever it is you wanted to know. So, what was the number one thing? Like you said, you know, you're getting information. What was mostly? What kind of information did you want from them? What was the most beneficial to find out? Great question. You know. You know, I always go back to, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, obviously, Philadelphia Eagles fan. So I always go back to football. Our clients, who were the largest companies in the world, and all, and sometimes small, some of the top small private firms in the world, because all firms hire spies, small, medium, and large, public companies, private companies, companies in the U.S., companies all over the world, everybody's hiring spies. And, and when, if they tell you they're not, they're lying. Um, they, of course, often do it through or almost always do it through an intermediary firm because they don't want to hire a spy like me directly because they want to have plausible deniability that if I somehow get caught, they go, well, my God, we had no idea what Robert was doing. So they're hiring firms through cons- they're hiring spies mm-hmm. through consulting firms is one way they hire them or through executive recruiting firms. But clients, these corporations are looking for the playbook on their competitors, on their top rivals. Again, think about the Super Bowl. If the Eagles had gotten the playbook on the Kansas City Chiefs three or four days before the game, they knew every play, they knew every formation. How valuable would that be, right? People try to do that? Well, uh, there was a, back in the day, the New England Patriots got caught, you know, with the whole spike, right? So it happens, yeah, they they did, you know? So it's, it's a real thing. And then of course in baseball, they were uh, stealing the signals. I think it was the Houston Astros uh, were stealing the signals. Um, so look, it, it happens in any competitive industry. And I'm here to tell you that Silicon Valley, the tech industry, Wall Street, pharmaceutical, industrial, they are as cutthroat as sports. They are as competitive as sports. So they will do whatever they can to get an edge on their competitors. So when you ask me, what do they want to know? They want to know everything. They want to know who the people are at their rivals, who the top people are, because, you know, they want to know who the rock stars are, because they know if they can steal those guys or gals, if they can poach them, they can get not only their talent, but the secrets that they hold, the relationships with clients. Mm Um, they want to know product information, what products are in the pipeline. They want to know the corporation. Is it expanding? Is it contraction? Are they hiring? Are they firing? Are they opening new offices? Are they closing new offices? Anything and everything so that they can structure their, you know, their game plan moving forward. I'm kind of sad now. <laughs> I say to my husband, no, that's jaded. And what you're saying, because I was telling about you coming on, and he's like, everyone's doing it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's the truth. Now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's switch it up a little bit. <laughs> Lighten up the mood. How long did it take? You said you wrote your book yeah. over COVID, which a lot of people, you know, that was a great thing to do during that time. How long did it take you to write it? That's a tough question to answer, you know, uh, because 
you know, remember some of it had been written kind of earlier on when I was at a writer's conference and then um, Malibu, where I live, we had this terrible fire. Your audience may remember a few years ago uh, where where half the town burned down. And so I wrote uh, my first book, which was about that fire. It was called Malibu Burning. Um, You know, my family, we fought the fire. We saved our house. 17 of 19 homes on our street burned to the ground. And, um, right like two days after the fire, the LA times reached out and they said, Hey, um, will you write an essay about your experience, you know, fighting the fire and, you know, nearly dying with your child. So I did. And then, yeah, no, it was, it was intense. And, um, so a publisher read that essay and they asked me to write, uh, Malibu burning. And so I had started ruse, but then this fire happened. So I put ruse on the back burner and then wrote Malibu burning. And then, of course, you know, we just kind of get back on our feet after this horrific wildfire. Uh, and, a, you know, a few months later, we have COVID. Uh, so, you know, it was a very stressful and, and, and horrible time, you know, especially for people that lost their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we had a couple thousand people. Uh, we lost a couple thousand homes in Malibu. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so then after... Malibu Burning came out and you know when you when a book comes out you got to do a lot of press and publicity for it mm-hmm. and that takes some time and then uh when that was finished then I got back to finishing Ruse. So it's a little hard for me to say I know Malibu Burning I wrote very quickly because there was a real time pressure yeah. because yeah. you know when you have, when you have an event like that you want to get a book out very quickly because people you know people move on there are tragedies unfortunately all the time. Um so the Malibu Burning book I wrote in about six months, which is very fast. Um, very fast. Yeah. Uh, Ruse, I think, was more like a year, year and a half. So did you always love to write? You know what? I did always love to write and I always loved to read. But as a young person, I could not sit still. Um, and so even though I was an English major in college and I had done some creative writing, mm-hmm. I could not sit still long enough to write something. Um, and that's part of the reason I got into acting because it was a lot more, you know, yeah. obviously active, right? And it's only now that I'm, you know, older that I can, you know, sit at a laptop and write for two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever, whatever I do on a particular day. All right. So I don't want to, I know we're wrapping up here soon. I do want to get into the acting, the fun part. Mm. You played so many different roles and you've worked with so many different people. And I'm sure it's hard to say this stood out. But what was your favorite experience? You know, I think uh, I'd like to say which one was the most memorable um, because it was just it was so intense. You know, I you know, again, I was a young actor and I needed, you know, acting jobs. And, you know, young actors are not particular about jobs and anybody wants to pay you to act, you take Mm -hmm. it. And so my manager called me one day and he said, look, there's this um, exercise video that's being done and they need some guys. It's an exercise video for men. And, you know, they need guys. And, you know, I said, whoa, whoa, you know, I, I, you know, my manager's name is Bobby. I said, Bobby, I don't, I'm not a dancer. I'm, you know, I, I can't do any of that stuff. He, oh, no, no, no. There's no dancing. It's, it's exercise video for guys. It's push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, you know. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I, I'm strong. I can do that. So um, it turns out this exercise video is for OJ Simpson. And I admired OJ Simpson. I watched him play football. I watched him on Monday Night Football. You know, I watched him in a couple of movies. Capricorn won. He was pretty good. So I'm like, wow, OJ Simpson, this is great. I'm going to get paid to go do this exercise video for guys with OJ Simpson. And I show up on the set um, and uh, there's a choreographer 
and the set is a dance floor. And all of a sudden there are these women uh, who are dancers and the choreographer shows a routine and, and everybody does the routine in like two seconds, even OJ. And I'm just pathetic. I'm just the, the worst. And the choreographer comes over to me and, and looks at me like, how did you get this job? Yeah. Basically, basically you're fired. And OJ says, whoa, 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 whoa. You, no, 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 you can't get r rid of Rob. Rob's dancing is making me look good. Rob stays. And, you know, one of the rules in Hollywood is you always make your star look good. And inadvertently, my bad dancing was making OJ's dancing look good. So he was like, he's got to stay, which was crazy. And somehow that bonded me with OJ and the whole shoot. Aww. We were like best buddies and, you know, and it was this crazy experience because, you know, here I am with this guy and, and as we know now, the murders took place literally, I don't know the exact number of days, but it was like a week later, the murders yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. And so here I am working with him on his last job before his world obviously fell apart, before he committed these horrific mm -hmm. acts. And so it was this insane insight into the mind because there were things and, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it for any potential readers or if anybody's kind enough. My, my book is also an audible. You can listen to it. But it was insane. The things he was telling yeah. me, the things he was saying yeah. to me. And so that was just a, a moment in time that was, you know, it was, you know, you just it's one of those proverbials. You cannot make this stuff up. You know, it's a story for another day. But I'm thinking, you know, I was. I, even though I became an entrepreneur, I was a dance major <laughs> and exactly what you're saying. I did not know. And I was doing a gig and I thought I was supposed to be the best I could. And I didn't make the head person. Yeah. Look good yeah. Cause I was outshining them and they cut me from the whole thing. Yeah. Right. I thought I was supposed to be doing the best I could. You know what I mean? No, no you need Robert, you you need to be bad like me. That's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, I'm so glad we got through. I was telling them, I know they're just calling now to say they're coming for my heat, but we were going to wrap it up. Anyhow, okay. this has been, I'm telling you, I'm so glad I did a first because I'm like, this is a stretch, but I loved every minute of it. Oh. And there's so many takeaways and things we, whether we want to hear it or not, that we need to hear. So yeah. that's cool, which brings me joy. But before we go, how can they find you, your website, your book? We want to know everything. Oh, I just tell people to go to my website. Uh, it's easiest. It's just my name, robertkerbeck.com, K-E-R-B-E-C-K. -E uh, you can buy Malibu Burning there. You can buy Ruse there. You can also see the trailer for Ruse because Ruse is being developed into a TV series. So you can actually watch the trailer to see what the show is going to be like. You're a great storyteller, Robert. Oh. A great storyteller. Well, what a pleasure, and, th and thanks for having me. You're so welcome. All right, my Let's Keep It Real people, you know what I'm going to say. Robert and I would really appreciate you spreading the word, sharing, liking, rating it. It means a lot. It really makes a huge difference. You definitely want to buy his book. You're going to be like, oh, my God, it's a page turner. And until next time, bye, Robert. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show, and remember, keep spreading the positive.